This is 680 CJOB. Hey everybody, welcome to The Main Ingredient. My name is Kevin Bergen and I hope you had a great week. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to the man that is responsible or been involved with many great culinary events here in Winnipeg, such as Table for 1200 and Raw Almond. So today, you're going to hear my conversation with the very interesting and very talented and very kind Chef Ben Kramer. Um, so let's talk about the humble beginnings of the infamous Ben Kramer. <laughs> um, what or who inspires you to start cooking? Um, a troubled background. You look uh, like a troublemaker. Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> a pretty messed up kid. Uh, grew up in East Van, got into a lot of East, legal problems. I used, to live, I used to live steps away from East Van. Yeah, I was, I was first in commercial. Oh, really? Yeah, East oh. Hastings. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You grew yeah. up there, really? Yeah, from the time I guess I was about 11, 12 when wow. I moved there. Yeah. Got thrown right into that uh, yeah. from small town Regina. Holy smokes. Uh, so, you know, grew up pretty quick. Yep. Got some street smarts pretty quick. Got involved with not a lot of good stuff. Yep. Uh, and one summer, uh, I was given the option of spending the summer in youth detention or getting mm-hmm. a job. Oh, okay. Right. So I got a job dishwashing at a little cafe on the beach in Ambleside. Yep. Lots of pretty girls and down by the beach and started working and, uh, you know, eventually just worked my way up and got myself out of trouble and... Uh, Took a job at a catering company uh, for the movies. Uh, That'd be fun. Yeah, I did a bunch of grunt work. You know, there's, I was, there's tons of that out there. Yeah, I was the guy. And this was like back in the heyday of Vancouver f- films. You know, we were doing X-Files and yep. and all those shows. So I got to see the behind the scenes and uh, work my butt off and, and make really good money. Because um, it was really long days and really weird hours and I was willing to do the work. So I kind of worked my way up and... Uh, you know, I've always kind of been into food. My family's big into food, so the the seeds were already there. Yep. And then, uh, you know, just working with some chefs and working in food. When it came time to, you know, get my act together and figure out what I wanted to do, um, food made sense. So I just decided to go to school and make it a real thing. Like, okay, so when was the aha moment? Like when you decided, hey, you know, I can actually, I'm going to do this. Actually, uh, when, when... I accidentally made a baby at 19 <laughs> and decided that the uh, the hustling lifestyle didn't fit family life yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and that I, you know, needed to uh, figure out what I was going to do outside of, uh, or I guess inside of the uh, legal world. <laughs> uh, so for me, that was the big shift. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm going to have a kid. I can't be on the streets doing what I'm doing. And yeah. uh what do I know? What have I done? Food makes sense. Put myself through cooking school yeah. and uh, it's kind of been uphill ever since. Wow. That's crazy. Um, it's amazing what having a baby will do for you sometimes. Changed my life. Yeah. Just saved oh, my life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's awesome. Okay. So you decide to uh, go to cooking school. You decide to become a chef. Yeah. Like at that point in your mind, you're going, I'm going to be a chef or are you um, thinking I'm going to- No, in know- my mind, I-, I it was drilled into my head by, I think, my grandfather probably that, you know, unless you go to school for a career, you don't have a real job. Right. Um, I was in the kitchens already, so I put myself through cooking school. And, and for me, it, I, I don't think at the time I was, you know, I want to be like Thomas Keller. Right. Um, I just thought, here's an avenue to, to get legitimate work. Right. Um, and it's a quick program. It was a year. Yep. Um 
but in in that year, I kind of fell in love with it. I, I started going to school and working at the same time uh, to get as much experience as I could as quickly as I could. It's kind of the hustle that I have. Uh, got out of school, worked two jobs, um, and just immersed myself in it as mm-hmm. much as I possibly could. Um, and it was probably a few years after that 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 it went from, well, this is just, you know, this is a job. I'm going to do this for a while and see yep. what happens, to uh, meeting some pretty uh, influential chefs when I was young uh, that kind of showed me that this is much more than a job. It can be a job. Lots mm-hmm. of people can get by making well, I'll barely get by yeah. cooking, but uh, I kind of saw the other side of it and the, the creativity and the ability to do fun stuff and, and you know, t- take it to another level, you right. know. So that was probably a couple years into cooking, but really early, like really early in my career. Being a chef and cooking, the whole industry has changed a lot in the last yeah. 20 years. Um, who was the person that was your greatest influence? Who was your greatest influence back then? And is that is it the same person now? No, I mean back then it was the the guys I was working beside. So uh, you know, I moved from Vancouver to Victoria. I helped uh, a guy named Mark open a restaurant, uh, Harold Street Cafe, it's first fine dining place in Victoria on the island. Yep. Uh, him and his chef Daniele um, kind of really took me under their wing. And it was the first time I saw real cooking, you know, outside of uh, you know flipping burgers and and working a fryer. This is the first time I saw I saw farm to table cooking and and that you know, way of sourcing and way of working. Daniele was like right from Italy. When I first started working for him, I had a hard time understanding him because his accent was so thick, <laughs> you know, and I just, yes, chef, yes, chef. And then I'd figure it out. You know, I did a lot Somebody of, I did said. a lot of learning by watching, right? Cause, yep. cause he'd be, you know, barking orders in, in English, but with a really thick accent. Yep. And, you know, at the time, you know, in that kind of environment, uh, you can't ask a second time. So yes, chef. And then you watch. And, and you figure it out. And, and we became pretty close in the couple of years that I worked there. I learned mm-hmm. a lot from him. You know, and it was just that, that work ethic, I think, that uh, that I was drawn to. I always, always had, like, a pretty strong work ethic and, and was pretty stubborn when I wanted to do something. And seeing that translated into something um, career-wise was, was pretty influential for me, seeing that these guys are as committed and passionate to doing a good job, you know, as... Uh, I was in other areas, you know, just made sense, and I was just drawn to that. So the trouble that you were getting in before earlier, now all of a sudden you do 180, and now you're fully immersed in this. What was your family thinking as this is going on? Um, well, I think they were happy that I left home pretty early. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I left home when I was sixteen uh, ish. Oh, just a baby. Um, yeah, yeah. My son's sixteen. I can imagine I know, leaving. I know. So, I mean, for me, like, I wasn't super tight with my family. My mm-hmm. sister, I, when I was in Victoria and, and had my first child, my sister was around and helped out a lot. Yep. But but leading up to that, uh, I wasn't super close with them, and I'm not really sure if they knew whether I was serious or not about cooking or right. whether I was just, you know, getting by. Right. Okay, so... They're definitely happy with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah, whenever they can be. Um, let's talk about home cooking. And is there something that you cook at home now that you don't cook in public? Uh, no, at home, uh, we pretty simple. Yep. You know. Um, Are you ever like, hey, you know, I, I got to come home and cook or I'm not cooking today? I oh yeah, there's it. lots of days where I don't cook, and and it's usually not because I don't want to. Right, I could cook every day, like easily. It, yeah. it usually comes down to prioritizing and and time, and 
you know, if I've been working all day, uh, my kids got soccer, that kind of thing. I, I got no problem going out and grabbing a bite to eat or soccer you know. never ends. Soccer season just no. And he ends, plays indoor or outdoor, so oh, it's really? pretty pretty nonstop. Yeah. Um, you know, and so as much as I love to cook at home, you know, I'm not making these from scratch, farm to table meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Yep. Let's talk about the term farm to table. That yeah. sounds it sounds like it's a simple term, but what does that term actually mean? Um, well, it's it's changed. I think you know I hesitate to use it. I just haven't found a better way to describe it. It's become pretty trendy, and there's a lot of places talking about it and not really doing. It. I mean, realistically, everything's coming from a farm. Right. I, I think the you whole, know you, even even fast food restaurants, their produce is still coming from a farm. It's right. just a factory farm. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, the, when I use the term, you know, I think of. Uh, Knowing where your food's coming from, mm-hmm. you know, this it. for me, it's that simple. It's, do you know where your food's coming from? A farm in California with, you know, thousand people not getting paid properly and chemicals being sprayed everywhere or a farm where you've met, you know, the person growing the food. Right. You know, so for me, that farm to table, uh, which I guess is a, is a kind of a poor way to describe it, um, is more about the connection of where my food is coming from and, and, and knowing the people involved right cutting out that middleman as much as possible for sure but you know we also live in a big city and i hit superstore when i have to no, for sure. well, I'm know, sure there's it's, a lot it's of impossible things. to do it right. year round i you know for, for me it comes down to you know making the best choices i can uh when i can right. you know which isn't every day mm-hmm. i'm going to continue my conversation with chef ben kramer right after the break talk to you in a couple minutes I'm here talking with Chef Ben Kramer, the man involved with Raw Almond and Table for 1200, to speak of a few of his projects. And before the break, we were talking about the ability of being able to source local ingredients. So we're going to continue that conversation. Well, if if I'm sure there's a lot of things that you want to source yourself and and know who grew it or where yeah. it came from, but you just can't get it at that certain time of year. Just yeah, you know, all. and uh, there's all kinds of factors. There's there's time, you know. There's different priorities. There's money. There, there's all kinds of factors, right. you know. So, like, for me, it really comes down to uh, making the best choice you can when you can and not beating yourself up about it when you can't, you right. know, which I think a lot of people, you know, who have these kind of ethics, they strive for it and then they beat themselves up when they have to do the alternative. Right. You know, I try. I, it doesn't have to be the rule. Like, you know what I yeah, mean? Like you, you, know, you do like, it when you can as much as possible. Yep. But if you can't do it, you just simply can't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, let's talk about your career so far as a chef. So the things you've done in the past um, and the things you have upcoming. All right. So let's talk about the Dandelion Eatery in Austin yeah. Village. How yeah. did that start? Uh, that was great, actually. I was... Uh, Is that a place you worked or you owned? No, I was partners with the guy that owns it. So uh, the guy that owns Organza Market, which was right next to it, uh, right. moved. I, I did some consulting with him. Uh, he had a small grocery store on court, and he was one of the first... Uh, organic type grocery stores in the city i think it even started as a small co-op i'm not really sure yeah. but anyway he had the the kind of the he was a pioneer when it comes to uh opening up a grocery store that's you know sourcing locally organic mainly um you know he came from toronto moved here couldn't find any of the stuff that he was used to getting so decided to build it right uh i did some consulting with him he had a little cafe in the back juice bar type thing that wasn't working turned out it wasn't working because the space was too small he uh ended up uh moving uh to where dandelion was and and uh built a big grocery store um and in that there was a restaurant space attached to it so he approached me i knew him from the neighborhood and just from reputation 
he approached me to see, uh, you know, if I wanted to partner with him and, and, and open that restaurant. And yeah, we had a solid four years. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. So why the change? Like you, you moved on to something you went to, UW was after that, right? Yeah, UW was right after that. Right. So, so what, what made you go from one to the other? Uh, well, Dandelion was kind of starting to fade out, and mainly because the grocery store needed more space. Uh, and the business model of that restaurant wouldn't have worked with it being smaller. Right. It, it was barely working as, as it is. <laughs> it, you know, we, 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 we had it fine-tuned, and it was doing fine. But, uh, you know, if we gave up 20 seats, we were done. Right. Uh, and so he wanted, to, he wanted to expand and, you know, go more of the deli route and less of the restaurant route. And, you know, at the end of the day, he had the space. So right. it was up to him to do that. Uh, at the same time, though, luckily for me, the university approached me about uh, doing some consulting on a business plan for this new food service model that they were looking at. Uh, Dr. Axworthy, who was the chancellor at the time, uh, was fed up with the food on campus. Um it's not hard to do, right? No, Food it was terrible. Is, and, you know, they were in the gross. bottom three every year for the McLean's articles that oh, rate, rate schools. It was terrible. Really? Yeah. <laughs> terrible. There's Students had a boycott Chartwell's day. It was, yeah, it was bad from what I understand. I well, the, the scary thing is that that kind of food usually is all garbage. So yeah. now you're the bottom of the bottom. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? No, exactly. Exactly. So he was sick of that. They just built a new residence. So they had a bunch of international students coming to live there for the first time. Uh, he realized that the food they were serving was garbage. And how can you, you know, sell a home life to a student that's coming and moving to Winnipeg when, you know, the kitchen doesn't work? Right. So there was that aspect to it. And then at the same time, uh, Seed Winnipeg in the North End uh, was dealing with new Canadians and uh, trying to get them work placement and training. And most of uh, the new Canadians they were dealing with seemed to have a food background where they came from. So they were trying to figure out how to implement some sort of training program. So the, the university and Seed sort of partnered on this on, the, on their two problems to see if they could find a solution together. So I helped them with the business plan, uh, or I was one of many people that helped them with the business plan. Uh, came up with a plan that's you know on paper worked. Um, <laughs> paper is a good thing. Yeah, Theory it was great. No, good. it was great. And yeah. you know the the beauty of it was doing it on paper. We kind of got to to blue sky it and come up with you know this utopian idea and make it work on paper. And then I walked away and went back to work. And then a couple months later, they called and said, "Hey, we're going to do this. Do you want to do it?" You know. So I was like. Oh. Crap! Now I actually have to do all that. you know. But for me, it was it was kind of perfect timing, you know. Being at Dandelion, I was preaching to the choir, and you know, not really influencing a lot of people through food. I was basically everybody that was coming to eat there was already bought in, right? You know, so going to the campus and and dealing with a whole new set of clientele, um, you know, younger kids who don't have their habits formed yet. You they know, know. well, they up. have habits formed, but they're all bad. Yeah, yeah, or they've just been babied. Like I noticed a lot in our first year, a lot of those kids uh, have never cooked for themselves. Right. You know, it was always their mom's cooking. Yep. You know, and we're talking kids that are like nineteen, twenty. Right. Um. So that you know, there was that aspect to it, and then you know, being a stubborn chef, there was the whole everybody telling me that it's not possible. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the, you know, I'm always up for a challenge, provided it's the right challenge. So right. uh, okay, but there's know. more than one challenge there. Okay, you have that challenge, then you have the challenge of 
you know, the second part of having people from different countries, different ethnicities. Yeah, we took and- every challenge. So we had the challenge of uh, the demographic of our staff and figuring out how to make that work in a harmonious way. We mm-hmm. had the challenge of, uh, for the first time in Canada, doing institutional food locally sourced from scratch, um, doing scratch food, you know, restaurant quality food, um, you know, with 15,000 people on campus. That's we were dealing of. with that challenge um we had challenges of you know trying to set the bar for uh environmental sustainability and you know all of that coupled with making enough money to pay the bills right how do you how do you locally source that much food for that many people Um, that's got to be a huge challenge right yeah i had a lot of help uh at this point i'd been cooking in winnipeg for probably 12 years so i developed a lot of those relationships yeah um, and I, you know, I had the luxury of, of roughly knowing what, uh, our volume would be like and what our buying power was, you know, so I was able to approach a lot of the smaller farms that I was dealing with and saying, listen, you're barely keeping up on lettuce right now at my little restaurant. Mm-hmm. Here's what's happening. Here's where I'm going. The business is all yours. If you can keep up, put up another greenhouse, right. <laughs> you know, so I guaranteed the sale, uh, in a way that kind of mitigated a lot of risk for them. For sure, right? Obviously, they're going to do the work if they know yeah. the product is sold. Yeah, and I mean, for me, the farmers and the producers that I'm loyal to and are loyal to me, as as my buying power grew, I shared that with them, obviously. Yep. Yep. So that allowed them to grow along the way, right? So, you know, like Green Bean Coffee is a perfect example. When he approached me at Dandelion, I was using some coffee out of B.C., uh, and he went, He was just starting a local organic direct, well, fair trade. He's now direct trade, which is even better. But at the time, roasting out in Clandeboyne and was trying to get new business. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked on me for a while. We figured it out. I was using his product at Dandelion. And then when I moved to the university, obviously, my coffee purchasing went through the roof right. compared to a small restaurant. Yep. You know, so I, it's awesome for him. I gave him a bit of notice. I'm yep. like, you're going to have to keep up. Here's the volume. He said he could handle it. So, you know. And he did. He did. And he's grown because of that, you know. So I've developed a lot of really good friendships that way. Oh, hello. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be your friend too. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. The news, weather, and sports are up next. And when we return, we're going to come back and find out how Chef Ben Kramer started his own catering company by accident. This is Kevin Bergen on the main ingredient here on 680 CJOB. Hi everyone, this is Kevin Bergen and thanks for joining me for another episode of The Main Ingredient. And thanks to Chef Ben Kramer for coming on the show. You can reach him at chefbenkramer.com. If you missed any part of the show, you can download the podcast on iTunes. And I'll have another great guest for you next week here on 680 CJOB. Welcome back everyone. Before the break, we were talking with Chef Ben Kramer about the awesome pop-up dinners. He has at local farms around Manitoba. Yeah, it's great. That is great, especially it's the great. busing to and busing from. That's yeah, fantastic. no, they all meet in the city at an yeah. undisclosed location and park their cars, and a bus picks them up, and it's like the old raves in the nineties. <laughs> you <laughs> we, don't know where you're going. Just we, get on the yeah, bus. Yeah, we bus them out, and they have a great time. <laughs> um, but you know, like the outside of the novelty of you know cooking on a farm and doing weird stuff like that, it, it's getting people onto a farm, right? And getting people to meet the farmers and the growers. You know, every course, you know. Whether it's grazing in the field or or the dinner we do at St. Norbert, every course is kind of modeled around a farm or an ingredient. Right. So there's a story to it. Yep. You know, it's not it's not just eating uh, a bunch of food. 
You know, it's it's understanding where that food comes from and why that's important. See, I'd be too this busy. This is connecting, connecting people all day long. Yeah, I'd be so busy eating, I just wouldn't even pay attention to where Yeah, I'm well, we make it happen because in between each course, we get up and we talk. Yep. You know? <laughs> Where's and, the food at? Yeah, and if you're not listening, I'm going to wait and I'm going to talk a little louder. <laughs> I guess and as the night fine. goes on and the more wine and beer people have, the harder it is to control it. For but sure. By that time, we've already got the message across. Yeah. yeah. That's perfect. Um, but we, you mentioned table for twelve hundred. Yeah. So how did that come about? That's another Mandel partnership. Yeah. No, we got a, we got approached. Uh, the, I guess the first one was because there was a design and design competition. There was, I think yeah. there was a conference in town. Or doesn't it conference. sound crazy when you say it? Like someone someone said that to you the first time. Oh no! It sound I, was, I I was down really? immediately. Yeah, before I even had details. <laughs> You're gonna cook for twelve hundred people? Yeah. We're, World's longest dining room table. One long table. And no problem. Let's just do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many chefs are involved in that? Uh, well, it's primarily Mandel and I, so it's the two of us that organize mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yep. I mean, we have a lot of help. Yep. We got, yeah, got recruit it. a lot of friends and a lot of hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're just doing the food side of it. There's a, there's people doing, you know, the table set up and yep. uh, um, the decor. It's a design competition, so every table di- looks different. Right. They all design their own tables. Yep. So we, you know, luckily I don't have to manage that side of it. I'm not managing the whole event. It's just Mandel and I just take care of the meal part. Yep. Well, let me just, just take just care the meal of, just, part. Yeah, don't just the food. Yeah. Not a big deal. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about some upcoming events, right? So let's talk about uh, Taste. Yeah. We're just coming up uh, October 29th and October 30th. Yep. What's that about? Um, partnered with the One Trunk Theater Company. Um, and it's it's modeled after a dinner that happened in Calgary, uh, and the idea is to combine theater and food um, in an unconventional way. So we're actually blindfolding guests. Um, and have, okay, at what point do they get blindfolded? Before they come into the dining room. Do they do they know where they are? It's not like we're bussing them. The, no, they no, no. They, are, they, right? they know where they're going. They're all going to meet in the lobby. Get prepped on it. It's you know not an eyes wide shut type thing. <laughs> they all know what they all know what's happening. <laughs> it's a different dinner, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna blindfold them and then uh, kind of you know play with uh, their senses a little bit. So you know, it's a it's an interesting project from a chef's perspective because a big part of cooking is presentation, and with people blindfolded, pre- presentations are relevant. Right. So I shift that attention to things like texture and temperature and. Uh, Flavor, 100%. okay. So, okay, so if they took their blindfold off, what would the presentation of the food there? I'm more not more sure a... I could make it look sloppy, even if I tried. <laughs> but I need to put a lot less attention in to the details of the plating. Right. You know, it, it's really it's it's uh, we're doing nine small tastes. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a simple bite. Some of them are a couple bites. Um, but the idea is to tell a bit of a story, which I can't talk about because it's top secret All right but tell a bit of a story and take them through a bit of a journey and and play with their senses you know as far as what your palate does when you're not paying attention to it with your eyes right so i guess you have to be pretty adventurous with what you eat you got to be pretty open-minded i right. think yeah there nobody knows what they're eating until after or until during i guess um oh, so i take a bite and then whatever the story goes on and then you tell me immediately after what, what I've eaten? Or no, there's a conversation. And the way the script, uh, there's actors kind of guiding you through it. Yep. Um, and the way the script works um, is there's going to be a, a narration, more or less, um, kind of talking about the emotion and the, the connection 
to food, mm-hmm. and then that's going to kind of lead you into your first bite. So they're all it's all connected. I think people will put it together as they're eating it. Um, but it's pretty fascinating to to eat something with your eyes closed, for sure. Especially when you don't see it first, you taste it differently, right. you know. And, and all these other things come into play, like uh, smell. Yep. You know, but and you taste texture. it completely, right? Like you said, yeah. You don't judge it with your eyes. Exactly. All you're doing is it's in your mouth. You taste exactly, it and then which make it you know, hopefully is good. <laughs> it could, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be one of those meals where you know, I think people will like. You know, some people will like all of it. Some people will like six out of nine courses. Right. But the idea is to to have that uh, discussion mm-hmm. and to have that uh, conversation around food and and w- what it does to you emotionally. Um, and not just visually. Right. That sounds super interesting. I like that. Um, let's talk about the Sunday Brunch Collective. Yeah. So that's... Uh, I know you're a big music fan, and a lot of it revolves around music, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I love music. Uh, so this one's a partnership with uh, Kitchen Sink, which is the venue, yep. and uh, the Winnipeg Free Press. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to do a thing where they uh, engage their readers and, and uh, combine music and food, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, every uh, we're doing one a month. Um, every month is a different, uh, musical. Is it the same place every month? Yeah. It's always a kitchen sink. Yep. Um, it's a different menu. I'm, I'm doing the food every month, but it, but there's different music. Um, okay. Do, and it, do, and you, do you change the menu based on the type of music? That's yeah. So, I mean, it's less, less, um, I guess less paired intentionally as far as like, as like the taste thing. So we're not walking them through. The music, but I'm, I know what the music is ahead of time, and I'm kind of gearing, you know, I'm not cheesing it out and, and you know, doing theme food around right, the music. Right, not like that, just but, sometimes but certain certain music. I am out. taking into account who's performing right. and, you know, are they a lively group or mm-hmm. are they like a mellow jazz, you know, like that kind of thing. So right. we're, we're kind of pairing the food that way, but it's most, brunch. Right. Most Well, I, I don't know if you can in Kitchen Sing, but most of the time... When, I'm, I'm assuming that when you're cooking or, or prepping stuff, there's music going. Yeah. So a lot of times, is it kind of based around that too? You know? Yeah. I mean? Except for this one, we're doing a little different. So we want we want the focus to be on the food and the music. So right. rather than having music during the meal, um, it's 45 minutes of meal mm-hmm. uh, where you're just focused on eating, and I'm talking you through what you're eating. And again, you know, we're we're selling these things out uh, with nobody seeing the menu. Right. You know, which would have never happened in Winnipeg 10 years ago. Not at all. It's great. So now all these events we're able to do and be as creative as we want to be or can be. Right. But I think a lot has to do with you, though, too, right? There's a lot of people. Yeah, there's some trust for sure. Right. So a lot of people have gone to a lot of these events that you put on and they know, you know, the kind of food that you make and yeah in, right? yeah and I think that's a big part of it is is developing that trust with your clientele, right, but we're doing forty five minutes of food, and then the food stops, and it's forty five minutes of music, so hundred percent of your focus is on the meal and then a hundred percent of your focus is on the music rather than just having the music be background to the food or vice versa right because when you're eating and not paying attention people don't pay attention to that right they usually are just eating yeah, and I don't want to compete with a musician and I don't want that musician to have to compete with me i'd right. I'd much rather people enjoy both gotcha so what's up next as far as you and um next event goes is there any other surprises that are coming up in the near future uh i guess it wouldn't be a surprise if you're gonna tell me on the radio no taste is the one we're working on next that's coming up right away uh next weekend actually right oh yeah so yeah so the weekend that this is on there's one on yeah okay we're talking um the 29th the 29th of october yeah yes yeah so this is saturday it'll be that night okay 
So yeah, that's what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just casually doing this while everything's yeah, just, happening. Yeah, I'm just down cooking there. in right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the next big one. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's sold out. Uh, yeah, I think it's sold out today. Wow. Yeah, that, that could be a really good, uh, really good following. You're doing it. How long are you doing them? Are you doing them from every month until when? Uh, well, the taste is just a one-time thing, right? Uh, the brunches we haven't set an end date, so we've set just ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing until we decide to stop it. But there seems to be a good uh, demand for it. People, the reception's been great. People are liking it. So it could be the same thing as the I'm just going to fill in with catering for a while, do this for a little bit till I actually do something. Yeah, I mean, as long as <laughs> as long as we're having fun and and enjoying what we're doing, it. and the, I mean, as long as as long as my crew and myself are pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves and having fun and the people on the other end of it are enjoying themselves, then yeah, we just go on indefinitely. This has been awesome. I appreciate you coming in, man. No, thank you. All right. We'll be back with more main ingredient right after the break. Welcome back to the main ingredient, everybody. My name's Kevin Bergen. And before the break, we were talking with chef Ben Kramer about his road to becoming a chef and his time as executive chef for the university of Winnipeg food services program. And now we're going to talk about his life now that he has left that position. Okay, so you in 2015 you part ways with UW and you, and you start your your own catering company. Yeah, yeah, right. almost by accident. What do you mean? Well, part of part of the UW problem is that uh, it's seasonal, right? right? So we're really busy in the fall and the summer is really slow. So we we didn't want to lay off a ton of people, mm-hmm. uh, which we had to in the, in our first couple of years in the summer. Um, so so we were trying to figure out a way to level that business out. Um, and for me, catering was, was the way because summer catering is usually busy. Right. Um, and in doing so, um, we managed to keep quite a few more staff than, than we normally would be or would have done. So that, that was kind of, you know, outside of movie catering, which I did when I was young, that was kind of my first foray into catering. I was a restaurant chef always. Um, but I got to see catering, and I got to execute a bunch of caterings and and, and kind of build that business. So uh, when we parted ways, I took some time off uh, just to kind of clear my head and, and figure out what I want to do next. And I went to Montreal for a couple of weeks and just, well, I say I relaxed, but I didn't relax. <laughs> I had a good time. Yeah, and then, uh, Montreal. Man. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful city. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, but then I, when I came back, I decided I wasn't going to think about what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to put any pressure on myself. I was going to go on vacation relax, figure it out when I came back. Right. And when, when I came back, I came back to, you know, half a dozen requests to do events. Hmm. Uh, so for me, it was like, oh, great. Make some income, figure out what I want to do. This will buy me some time. Oh, and right. just, so you're still buying time right now. I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and in that process, I've realized I really love it. Yeah. You know, I, I love the ability to uh, take the gigs that excite me, take the gigs that are meaningful. Um, you know, do some fundraising, but, but every gig that I do is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of eliminates the, uh, the day-to-day monotony of, of restaurant work or cafeteria work or a- any work really. Cause I'm in a different location. I'm doing different food. Every menu we do is custom. So we're not repeating a lot of things. Um, and I get to do that in a controlled way, Right. you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that it accident I I don't even think it's accidental. No. I think I've been slowly building to it, but right. I'm just grateful that, you know, 
I've been given the opportunity to keep keep doing it and and really doing the work that I love to do, mm-hmm. you know, which is feed people. Really, at the end of the day, totally, you know, and, and a big operation. You end up, you know, as a chef, you end up becoming an administrator more than more than a chef, and that's the part of the job that uh, I didn't like, and part of the job that uh, I knew was necessary and I could do it, um, but it wasn't my passion. Well, you're managing budgets, you're managing people, and all the things that. You didn't get in the job for like that's yeah, not cooking. Yeah, yeah, and right? and 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 tra- and training chefs, which is great, right. and 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 overseeing things. But you know, it's it's tough when when I got three hours of paperwork to do, and and I have to talk a chef through an event that I'd rather be at. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Cooking and interacting with people and making people happy that way. Totally. So. Okay, so let's talk about some of those events. So let's talk about um, raw almond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. fun one every year. How did that come about? Uh, a good friend of mine, Mandel Hitzer from uh, Deer and Almond. Uh, him and Joe put it together, and um, I've been friends with him for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when when he put together the first one, you know, I, I can't remember how many chefs there was. There wasn't many. It was like a handful of us, nine yeah. or something. Um, all different chefs from working at different restaurants, doing yeah, different things, coming Winnipeg. together. Yeah, to, yeah. That's so a great he, idea. Yeah, he, and and you know, in that first year, the idea was we were all going to collaborate and do this crazy thing, and and we did, and it was great, and it's just built every year. Like Mandel's done a really good job of building it every year, and now, like last year, we thirty some chefs involved from all over Canada, some from the states. Yep. Yeah. How is the relationship between chefs as you're organizing that? You know what I mean? Uh, it's great. I mean, M- Mandel does all the work. I just go and cook and have fun. Yep. It's it's just nice. Probably no responsibility. Just no, it's his put- baby. My responsibility is is my night. Yep. Um, but the community is so great down there, and and the chefs that are involved, uh, are all so great, and we all get along so well that you know, out of the 21 days that that thing runs, I'm down there like 18 of them, That's awesome. and I'm working two of them. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. That's it's, great. Yeah, it's it's done a lot for the chef community. You know, not not just in Winnipeg, but uh, like in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we should explain. You know, we, we talked about kind of talked about the event, what the event actually is. Uh, it's a temporary river restaurant. Uh, temporary restaurant put up on the river in the winter. Like so, it's on the river on it's the on, ice. It's on. Yeah, last year it wasn't. It wasn't cold enough for us to build it on the ice. But every yeah, the intent is for it to be on the ice, uh, right at the forks where the two rivers meet. Right. Uh, and and there's a couple. Uh, sides to it there's the there's the cooking side of it but then there's also an artistic side of it uh joe puts together these structures that are different every year uh but basically we're building a tent on on the ice yeah and uh asking people to come down and <laughs> and eat in minus 40 weather <laughs> and they do yeah they do it's we, Winnipeg, uh, right? yeah, if you're no, not gonna go out when it's cold you're not well, going yeah out. no last year we sold out uh the entire thing in like 20 hours or oh, something it was crazy awesome yeah so there's been a lot of really good support you know which is nice to see. It, it, it's tricky because all these events, you know, whether it's raw almond or grazing in the field or table for 1,200, any of these like kind of out there events, mm-hmm. the first one is always the hardest because everybody says no. You know, like, like no, it's not going to work. No, like no to insurance, no to permits, no, oh, to, yeah, you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff, yeah, right? Because it. it's, it's so outside of the, the box of bureaucracy that, that it makes it challenging. And, you know, it's, it's, Winnipeg has some really talented people and some really stubborn people that, you know, we get an idea and we're told no. And it's like, okay, well, like, how can we make this happen? (laughs) It can't happen. Okay, but what if we did this? And we just keep chipping away at it until it happens, you know. And the same people in the first year that were saying no and 
you know, commenting on the free press website about what a terrible idea and nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to pay to eat outside. It's too expensive. All of those same people are now like upset that they can't get tickets. Oh, nice. You know, so it's, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to see that, you know, with a little, uh, uh, bullheadedness and, and, you know, enough of us pushing things forward and, you know, Winnipeg's definitely on the map. For sure. Um, so is it easier to get different events, the the permits and licenses for those kind of events now? It is now, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think a big part of that is that uh, we're all pretty conscientious and, and grateful for the ability to do this stuff, that yeah. we're, we're doing it right. Right. You know, the, the, the first, uh, you know, on-farm dinner that gets a bunch of people sick, Cha- changes the game right? <laughs> right so so we're doing it right like you know the the on-farm dinners that i do are probably cleaner and safer than some of the restaurants because i'm taking what the health board has said you know if you want to cook on a farm here's what you have to do and and making sure that i exceed that every time so those are the grazing in the field events yeah yeah that's a big one that's yep. the annual one you know i do i do a number of them but grazing in the field you know we've done f- this we just finished our fifth year wow. so we've done five in a row now what's that like it's great same thing, different farm every year, so we never get really comfortable with it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that idea come about? Like, okay, there's, there's a farm, you know, farm uh, I, yeah, I buy no, from. The, uh, the, the, a guy, Jason, who works for the dairy uh, producers in Manitoba, uh, was trying to figure out a way to help promote the dairy industry and, and show, uh, you know, that Canada's dairy industry isn't like the documentaries you see in the U.S. Right. Um, and, you know, you can do commercial spots and ads and that only has so much so he had the idea of bringing people onto the farm to see it's a good idea because yeah. again, a commercial is a commercial you you, you prep that totally right it's totally. not that's not real so he approached me about doing a dinner on the farm and and it's you know him and i have partnered on that since day one and and grown it together and it's great because you know we bring people to a different farm we bust them out from the city they get a tour they get to meet the family they get to see the operation in its entirety um, and then sit down and eat, you know, a seven-ish course meal in a tent on that farm. That's awesome. And then we bust them home. We're going to talk with Ben more after the break and talk more about uh, eating on the farm. We'll be right back. The news, weather, and sports are up next. But when we return to the main ingredient, we're going to continue our conversation with Chef Ben Kramer and find out how he started his own catering company literally by accident and talk to him about the events he has coming up. This is 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.